I hate to go all technical on you, but all hands on deck, swirly thing alert! Attention! Listen, you motherfuckers. Buckle up, pedal heads. You're experiencing the Lotus Effect with Phoenix and Phone Boy. Oh my god! It's very creepy. Just a little weird. Maybe it'll catch on, who knows. It is out of sheer morbid curiosity. I'm allowing this freak show to continue. How do you fix that, though? Take a big step back and literally suck my dick. Do I have your attention? Send your dick pics. (laughs) Are you interested? I know you are, because it's fuck or walk. You're shitting me. Have you made your decision for Christ? I'll tell you the truth. I don't give a shit. I would not say such things if I were you. Who the fuck are you? Phone Boy and Phoenix. I don't know, Phone Boy. They're fucking nuts! But they don't know shit about fuck, clearly. You're talking peak no agenda right there, everybody. That's true. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. And welcome to the Lotus Effect, episode 52. And of course, you all know that uh, this is the show where the uh, the show's made up, content doesn't matter, and I'm Phoenix. Let me start this off by clearly stating that I'm better than everyone. And I'm Phone Boy. So we finally <laughs> met the man whose shit doesn't stink. Yeah! yeah. We're, we're going to do things a little different today. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off by giving you a little blurb about what we have gotten you all into. So Orson Welles, who was, for those of you who don't know, a screenwriter, actor, and producer whose numerous works include the offering we'll be serving up tonight. As it was originally broadcast on that fateful night, the War of the Worlds will be offered to you with limited commentary breaks for your listening pleasure. But before we get to our feature tonight, we want to remind you all that this is a value for value show. So if you get any value out of what we are doing, we invite you to return it by telling your friends. Send them to lotuseffect.stream for the live show, 4 p.m. Central. Lotuseffect.chat is where you get to interact with us during the show. And lotuseffect.stream is where they can listen to, and you can if you haven't gotten caught up by now, to all of the past episodes that we've done. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we've and we've done quite a number of them. Uh, so, and, and it was funny we were when we were at the uh, farmers market today with one of our folks that we'll talk about during the toast and jam was actually mentioning, hey, we listened to you know whatever. You know, like yeah, that they listened to some of our past episodes, yep. and that really made me feel super because those are the farmers who raise the pork that we talk about yeah. at DeBell Farms. Exactly, uh, gr- great folks and uh, fantastic, Jeff and Felicia. We love you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we got some great. Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, what we got. Co- coming up today it's it's pretty it's actually pretty amazing what we've got uh, we do uh, but uh, we don't want to forget to mention the fact that you can send us satoshis boost me bitch you can Uh, yeah here i I, I, I I actually have to play that clip you do where is it I'm, I'm hitting the button. Boost me, bitch. Yeah, there well, you go. I know, and I need to find. Yeah, misfire. This yeah. is why you need a new iPad phone, boy. Yeah, we'll talk about that during Toast and Jam. Also. Yes, we will. Uh, so, um, so, so let me. Yeah. So, okay, so let me talk about who 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 actually donated. And so mm-hmm. um, we um, so and yeah we we you know, we we accept uh, donations via PayPal. You got to get a Lotus Effect show. You can find a link uh, if you are if you have one of these uh, newfangled podcast apps. Uh, you know, um, then um, you should. Uh, if you don't have a if you, your podcast app does not have a boost button, uh, get one that does and go to new. 
newpodcastapps.com or nudepodcastapps.com, either one. Um, yeah. We normally That's right. take off all your clothes and yeah, go there's... to nudepodcastapps.com. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So, so let me read some of the stuff that we got. Uh, we, we got a, we got a couple of boostograms here. Uh, so, uh, Phoenix, I'm not sure why you keep boosting our show, but because um, I believe in what we do and it's a whole lot of fun to throw some Satoshis around the joint and splash the walls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, so you boosted 10,000 sats and it says this night shall live in infamy. Orson Welles was a master of his craft. Yes, he was. Um, Now, one thing about this, about this, uh, this, uh, this program I'm going to point out is, uh, I have not listened to the war of the worlds. I I have not listened to it and, and, and I didn't do, you know, I I, intentionally didn't. Yeah. I intentionally chose not to, um, I choose a lot to do it, and 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 actually, we just got we just got a boostergram from uh from from our from the Rev. Uh, yeah we got we got we got a, we got an eight oh oh eight boost from uh from Rev Cybertrucker. Oh look at that! Got some boobs. Yeah, in we the got business. Yeah, we got we got we got to make sure we give uh, Rev Cybertrucker his due. And actually, Rev yes, Cybertrucker also contributes value by uh by actually giving us our cavalcade of stupidity every week. Yeah. So um that so yeah we the eight oh the the eight double oh eight um um. Yeah, boost is of course, uh, of course, is boob, and so uh, and, and actually, we had Rev Cybertrucker at our house uh, a little over a week ago. That's right. Yeah, he he can't. He it was he a was, fantastic visit, and yeah. we hope that he'll be able to come through again really soon, so we can have another one. Yeah. So I mean, so seriously, when yeah, when you come yeah, when you come through town again, Rev, let us know. Um, Absolutely. And uh, we also got a uh, we also got a boost from CSB. Um, at with five five thousand fifteen sats, and he says, "Please visit www.csb.lol to see my cartoons." Yo, CSB. So, thank, thank you, CSB. We appreciate. Yeah, you, we, bro. We, we 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 love you. Uh, you you are a long time. Uh, You're a fixture. national treasure, man. You are a national treasure. I kind of wish I had that clip uh, to play. Uh, so. Um, and obviously, we talk about. And so, the other th- the other way you can participate and in in, in in contribute value is to uh, to actually use our um, the, the, or to, to participate in our refire topic, and that means uh, calling in and and sounding off uh, on this or what or a past topic or just to that's say right. Hello. This week, we want to know as kind of along with the theme. Uh, do you think that life exists on other planets? And uh, if so, do you think we've been visited here on Earth? Yeah. So uh, call us at 253-237-3321 and tell us about it. And, and uh, you know, so... You can you- call in if you want... Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've actually got. Yeah, I've, I've actually got that. I've actually got it turned off at the moment because. Well, we'll make sure it's turned on. Yeah, I know. I got to figure that. I got to figure that part out uh, while we're doing that. But I'll, but during the but we'll do that during the second half of the show because that's the, right. Because during the first half of the show we're going to be playing stuff. So that is correct. Uh, so. Um, but if you uh, do, you believe in life on other planets, and yeah, do you think we've been visited, and you know that kind of thing? Yeah, let it, let us know. Um, but so uh, don't forget also because I'm pretty sure we didn't mention the fact that yeah, we do we do take your Fiat Fun coupons. Coupons. Uh, uh, what is up? Like, did somebody stone coop, the coop, tongue? Coop coupon. Coupon. Yeah. yeah that, don't that's ask a, me yeah, how to spell yeah, that. Yeah, as, as you know, you, you've always said the tongue is drunk, right? And, well, yes, but, I have. But, yeah, but you, but I think the tongue might be stoned in this case. The tongue is something that's for sure. But yeah, yeah we take your Fiat Fun coupons, your cuck bucks. We take it all. Oh, oh yes, and we got to mention Mama T. I, I, I forgot. We do love Mama T. Mama T actually donated three dollars. Uh, there you go. Oh, thank so, you, Mama T. Yeah, except, so much. Yeah, so um, I got to make sure that to 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 make sure I link Mama T. I for, I'd forgotten about that. Of it course, didn't, it it came into my personal account as opposed to the the. the oh, that's right. That's for probably, reasons we've yeah. specified behind the mic, no yes, worries. Exactly. Yeah, it's groovy. So, well, but there there is one thing that you desperately need to remember when supporting yeah, can, our show. If I, can, if I can find, yeah, I for some reason that. 
clip is not found, and I'm not sure. You are not serious. I don't know. I this is, but here, let me actually. I'm going to pull it while we do it. But this is try again because yeah. But well, basically, uh, don't send us your shit. We don't want your shit. Yeah, we don't want your shit. Well, I mean, give us, give us, give us shit, but don't, but don't send it to us. Troll us heavily in the troll room. Lotus Effect chat. We absolutely thrive on it. Absolutely, but uh, I'm trying. uh, Let's see. There, there. Here we go. This is for some reason this clip wasn't in the. Uh, in the in the back of things, we don't want your shit. Please, Please don't send us your shit. There we go. Yeah. That's so, right. Um, but there you uh, go. but yeah, if you're gonna call in, just you know, you, of course, we also with this we have to play. One ringy dingy, two ringy dingy. Yeah, and and just just remember when you call in, you're you're not you know, Ernestine, Ernestine is, is not standing by. But Google Voices, and they'll be sure to mangle your transcription for us. Yeah, that's right. And so um, yeah, so I think we're ready to get going here. And uh, so uh, Phoenix, why don't you take it away? <laughs> and away we go. For all of you Rick and Morty fans. So, on October 30th, 1938, at approximately 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater on the air began their broadcast with an introduction stating that they would be presenting War of the Worlds, a science fiction novel written in 1898 by H.G. Wells, of no relation. No one could have imagined the impact this would have on the listening audience. Okay, so we are going to play this, and we're going to. St- there's a couple of times we've prescribed to stop it, but because I have not listened to this, and I mean, I've, you know, even when we're working on the show content, I tried to sort of keep my distance from it because I want this for my. Because if you've listened to No Agenda, you, you realize that the way that they do things is, you know, John C. Dvorak sends clips to Adam Curry to to do the show. They don't talk about what they're going to talk about during the during the show. Um, they just send clips, and, and they just they kind of have a conversation, and, and it's all organic, and so. Everybody, you know, so they sometimes they get the same clip, sometimes they don't. In this case, what we're doing, yeah, we're playing the War of the Worlds, and also, yeah, I mean, again, this is what uh, this, this is almost exactly the thirty-year uh, anniversary, not, not thirty years, it's like eighty-four years, yeah, eighty-four-year like anniversary. We it would have been really great to have this after. Yeah, we tried to be after no agenda since Booberry's project went tits up or boobs up, yeah, boobs up. But yeah. unfortunately, you know, it's all good. We'll we'll take it a day early because we think what we're about to put in your ear holes is going to be worth it, no matter what day we present it. Yeah, exactly. So, so with that, we're gonna. So uh, during the, we've got a couple of places where we're planning to stop it, but uh, I may stop right. it because I'm like, hey, wait a minute, uh, we need to, you know, I, I need to comment on something. But, yeah, again, uh, this is a cold listen for Phone Boy. He has not heard this ever. Yeah, exactly. I'm not even sure. I don't think you even knew the controversy behind. This oh, I knew. Oh, I knew there was a controversy behind it. That, you did? that, okay. that much I did know, right? Because, okay. it, because be, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the controversy, but I've never okay, actually. Okay, well, listened to that's it. the second half of show that we'll dive yeah. into what the controversy actually was. But for now, if you don't mind, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, get this thing started. And we're, gonna, right. we're we're playing it from as it was uh, played originally. Originally back broadcast in, uh, October 30th, 1938. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theater and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. 
We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds, as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects, vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In the 39th year of the 20th century came the great disillusionment. It was near the end of October. Business was better. The war scare was over. More men were back at work. Sales were picking up. On this particular evening, October 30th, the Crosley service estimated that 32 million people were listening in on radios. Okay, so I actually... Okay, so I just picked up on something as I was listening to this to this bit here. Um, it said the 39th year of the 20th century, which I guess if you consider that the 20th century starts at the year... with the year 1900, I guess that is the 39th year, but, but that kind of... You know, it's, it's uh, listening to it now, eighty-four years later. Um, no, because this was nineteen thirty-eight. Yeah, it was nineteen thirty-eight. I just, it was just, it was kind of ninth year. Yeah, but there's it's, a it, little Easter egg there. I yeah, think. I think that's an Easter egg because so. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to give too much away here, but um, yeah, this is one of the things that I see. You know, that when thinking about when we were kind of going and again, I didn't listen to this, but um, there are a couple of things we did discuss, and I was like, well. Yeah, I have a feeling that there are that there are Easter eggs in here that indicate that this is maybe not so real. Yeah, and, and there was one that I picked out. Yeah, but uh, what I wanted to say about this was that Orson Welles began this broadcast with a firm and steady voice, conveying confidence and certainty. This set the stage for what would become the greatest hoax in radio history, intentional or not. Yeah. So I. Um, yeah. So this is. Yeah. And I think. Uh, yeah. It's. Yeah. I got to This. Yeah. Who, who know? I mean, this is. We were. You know. The, all the parties are now dead. So of course it's. A, you know. We don't right. really. We can't really ask the question. But. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, we're, we're going. So we're going to. Con- again, we got. Without couple- a whole lot of words out, we're going to continue. We're going to continue, and then we're going to hit the play button, and hit the mute, the mute button. For the next twenty-four hours, not much change in temperature. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia, causing a low-pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the northeastern states, bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature 66, minimum 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We take you now to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. With the touch of the Spanish, Raymond Raquello leads off with La Compasita. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions. Oh, I saw something? No. 20 minutes after the hour. No, he said 20 minutes before. Oh, 20 minutes before the hour. Yeah, yeah that's I, why I tried to signal to you, no, don't stop it, because I knew what you were thinking. Okay, well, good. Go. Uh, okay, we'll keep, we'll keep going. Sorry Thank about you. that. ...of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel situated in downtown New York. tune that never loses favor, the ever-popular Stardust, Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with a noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on this event. All right, so... Um yeah, so the question is, what, what's interesting about this uh, broadcast, and so they, there's a lot of work done on this broadcast. They, they, they used dates and times and locations that were, you know, theoretically not only real, but also fairly well known. For example, Trenton, New Jersey, Chicago, Illinois, and so on, right? There, there's mm-hmm. a, so they, they, they took a story that, they took a, a piece of fiction, right, that was, that was written you know, at the end of the 19th century. and That also was actually set in Great Britain. That's oh, that's, that's this was an even further adaptation by Wells, in that he took a story originally set in Great Britain and brought it to not only the states but you know moreover Trenton, New Jersey, and surrounding areas. Yeah, exactly. So so they yeah so they took a yeah they took a fictional story and made it sound real and yeah that's uh, you know and then uh, hilarity ensued as they say. Oh, if you will. Yeah. So we'll continue. In a few moments, we will take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, New Jersey. We return you until then to the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. We are ready now to take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I'm, I'm, I'm 
standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. Professor Pearson stands directly above me on a small platform, peering through the giant lens. I ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. Besides the ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by telephone or other communications. During this period, he is in constant touch with the astronomical centers of the world. Professor, may I begin our questions? At any time, Mr. Post. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disk swimming in a blue sea. Transverse stripes across the disk. Quite distinct now, because Mars happens to be at the point nearest the Earth, in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor Pearson? Not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Phillips. Although, that's the popular conjecture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the result of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that living intelligence as we know it does not exist on Mars? I say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet, how do you account for these gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Phillips, I cannot account for it. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from the Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. <laughs> well, that seems a safe enough distance. Uh, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Pearson a message. While he reads it, let me remind you that we, we are speaking to you from the observatory in Princeton, New Jersey, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer Professor Pearson. Uh, one moment, please. Professor Pearson has passed me a message which he has just received. All right. So I think uh, so. You you'd mentioned something something you didn't uh, that you didn't pick up on the first time. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning. No, uh, it's not worth mentioning till the second half. Actually, oh, oh, it's actually not worth mentioning till the second half. But uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, but uh, oh, I guess wait a minute. I think there, there's 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 a bit I'm missing here. You think, Professor? May I read the message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the Natural History Museum, New York. Quote, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Now I am actually stopping that because it's, because it's, because what's in, okay, so I want to point out something because, because, um, so I am, so this broadcast started uh, at 8 p.m. That's correct. Yes. And what they just said, right? And so there's, they said 820. Um, well, if we, if this is a real time broadcast, uh, yeah, they're, they're off by about 10 minutes. At least. And so if you're, if you're wondering if there is a, um, you know, the possibility that this might be, uh, you know, fake, um, in real time, that might be something to, uh, to pay attention to. But it's a detail, I think, if you're panicked about what might happen. Or if you heard, if you, you if know. If you didn't hear the opening announcement within the first 30 seconds that this was a radio play. And we will highlight that later. As we go on, yeah. I just wanted to touch upon the fact that if you were listening close enough and heard with the knowledge that this show had started at 8 p.m. when they made that, in my opinion, maybe intentional error. 
in time yeah well and that's yeah i because th- i suspect when 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 uh when when phoenix first made me aware of this uh this uh, little interesting thing my immediate answer was uh it's probably an easter egg right is that actually i yeah. think i know what it actually is yeah okay so a little bit of spoiler for second half when this play was originally done and the original script for it written because it was literally written within like one week's time from the adaptation by orson wells uh off of the H.G. Wells book, the initial script, I believe, chronicled this as having occurred over several days. So that could lend itself to a error in editing, basically, where they accidentally left that in. Yeah, well, considering how quickly they did out, it, right? Yeah, I mean, without having taken out, um, you know, because they made it literally, because they... Anyways, it'll be explained in the second half, but more or less because of the fact that they made it as a one-day occurrence, if you will, as opposed to stretched out over several days, it could have been an error in having just accidentally left something in that got read, and once it's out there on the air, you can't take it back, as you and I both know, in this shit show that we produce. Yeah, exactly. So um, so I don't think we have any other scheduled stops in, in this whole thing. Not that I have. But, because uh, I think from here, uh, well, it all goes uh, boobs all up, goes as you said. boobs up. That's right. Okay, so here we go. We're going to, we're going to, uh, now we're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to let things go, and we, I might stop it a couple times between now and then, but uh, we'll see. Quote, Professor Pearson, could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Oh, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past ten minutes, we've been speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton, bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We are returning you now to our New York studio. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. Okay. Again, we need to point out, and I'm sure you all are screaming at your, you know, streaming devices right now, these time codes being dropped are completely irrational, as this broadcast has literally been going on at the time for only approximately 10 minutes. Yeah, and, and I, I'm going to have to point, I, I'm going to have to point out the, uh, the uh, yeah the Rev, Rev's got the got the uh, got a show title there uh, yeah I have to point that out just to, so all right we'll, we'll continue the flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth we have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene and we'll have our commentator Carl Phillips give you a word picture of the scene as soon as he can reach there from Princeton in the meantime we take you to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn where Bobby Millette and his orchestra are offering a program of dance music. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We take you now to Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmot Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself made the 11 miles from Princeton in 10 minutes. Well, I hardly know where to begin. To paint for you a word picture of a strange scene before my eyes, like something out of a modern Arabian night. Well, I just got here. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I guess that's it. Yes, I guess that's the thing directly in front of me. Half buried in a vast pit. Must have struck with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree. It must have struck on its way down. But I can see if the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of... Um, um, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? Uh, what would you say? Uh, what's the diameter of this? About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is... Well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish-white. It's curious... Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, 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 would you mind standing one side, please? While the police are pushing the crowd back. Here's Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmot, uh, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in your backyard? Uh, uh, step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wilmot. Well, I was listening to the radio. Closer and louder, please. Pardon me? Uh, louder, please, closer. Yes. <clears throat> I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about Mars, so I was half chosen and half... Yes, yes, Mr. Wilmot, and uh, then what happened? Well, as I was saying, I was listening to the radio kind of halfway... Yes, Mr. Wilmot, and then you saw something. Well, not first off. I heard something. And what did you hear? A hissing sound like this. Uh, kind of like a Fourth of July rocket. Yes, then what? I turned my head out the window and would have sworn I was to sleep and dreaming. Yes. I seen a kind of greenish streak and then zingo. Something smacked the ground. Knocked me clear out of my chair. Well, were you frightened, Mr. Wilmot? Well, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I was kind of riled. Well, thank you, Mr. Wilmot. Thank you very much. Yeah, you want me to tell No, that's quite on? all right. That's plenty. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm, where this thing has fallen. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene... Hundreds of cars are parked in a field in back of us, and the police are trying to rope off the roadway leading into the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. The car's headlights throw an enormous spotlight on the pit where the object's half buried. Now, some of the more daring souls now are venturing near the edge. Yeah, the silhouettes stand out against the metal chain. <laughs> One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with the policeman. Now, the policeman wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen, please. Do you hear it? It's a curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll uh, move the microphone nearer. Here. Now, we're not more than 25 feet away. Uh, can you hear it now? Uh, Professor Pearson? Yes, Mr. Uh, can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly the unequal cooling of its surface. I say, do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Uh, not found on this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth and... You can see it's cylindrical oh, shape. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw and the thing must be hollow. 
Might be a face, might be almost. Oh, but heavens, something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another one and another one. They look like tentacles to me. But, oh yeah, I can see the thing's body. Now it's large, it's large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather, but that face, it, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is that's kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. It seemed to... Oh, those quiver and pulsate and the monster or whatever it is can hardly move. It seems weighed down by uh, possibly gravity or something. The thing's rising up now and the crowd falls back. There's seen plenty. The most extraordinary experience, ladies and gentlemen, I can't find words. And, well, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop the description until I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. We now return you to Carl Phillips at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, is my on? Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilma's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. The more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted and the professor moves around one side studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Ah! The whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles are spreading everywhere. It's coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed a message that came in from Grover's Mill by telephone. Just one moment, please. 
At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. Their bodies burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you hear will be that of Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the state militia at Trenton, New Jersey. I have been requested by the governor of New Jersey to place the counties of Mercer and Middlesex as, as far west as Princeton and uh, east to Jamesburg under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from Trenton to Grover's Mill and uh, will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to General Montgomery Smith commanding the state militia at Trenton. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back in their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. The combined fire departments of Mercer County are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Grover's Mill, but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest possible moment. In the meantime, we take you to... Just one moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at a farmhouse near Grover's Mill where he has established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Pearson, brought to you by direct wire. Professor Pearson. Of the creatures in the rocket cylinder at Grover's Mill, I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. Of their destructive instrument, I might venture some conjectural explanation. For want of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It's all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It's my guess that in some way they are able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolute non-conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition, much as the mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. That, that is my conjecture of the origin of the heat ray. Thank you, Professor Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a bulletin from Trenton. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in a Trenton hospital. Now, here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. The office of the director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the state militia, stationed outside of Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Here's a bulletin from State Police, Princeton Junction. The fires at Grover's Mill and vicinity are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the pit, and there is no sign of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special statement from Mr. Harry McDonald, Vice President in Charge of Operations. We have received a request from the State Militia of Trenton to place at their disposal our entire broadcasting facilities. In view of the gravity of the situation, and believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the State Militia at Trenton. We take you now to the field headquarters of the state militia near Grover's Mill, New Jersey. 
This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corps, attached to the state militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Grover's Mill. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry, without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. Things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pit. I can see their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their cocky uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. Looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the Millstone River. Probably fire started by campers. Well, uh, we ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust and it'll all be over. Now, wait a minute. I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow. Now the troops are on the edge of the Wilmoth Farm. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. A tub, rather. Well, wait, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Solid metal, kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. It's going higher and higher. What? It's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and has effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued except routing some of the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton. It is estimated to twice their normal population. Martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. At this time, we take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the nation, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the country, nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you, private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area. And we may place our faith in the military forces to keep them there. In the meantime, 
placing our faith in God, we must continue the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with a nation united, courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy on this earth. I thank you. You have just heard the Secretary of the Interior speaking from Washington. Bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We're informed that the central portion of New Jersey is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here is a special bulletin in New York. Cables have been received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The majority voiced the opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. There have been several attempts made to locate Professor Pearson of Princeton, who has observed Martians at close range. It is feared he was lost in the recent battle. Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops, moving north toward Somerville with population fleeing ahead of them. The heat ray is not in use, although advancing at express train speed, invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making a conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges, and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here is a bulletin from Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Coon hunters have stumbled on a second cylinder similar to the first embedded in the Great Swamp 20 miles south of Morristown. Army field pieces are proceeding before the cylinder can be opened in the fighting machine rig. They are taking up a position in the foothills of Watchung Mountains. Another, another, another bulletin from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of Marstown. Machines also sighted by telephone operator east of Middlesex within 10 miles of Plainfield. Here's a bulletin from Winston Field, Long Island. A fleet of army bombers carrying heavy explosives flying north in pursuit of enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep the speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please, ladies and gentlemen. We've, uh, we've run special wires to the artillery line in adjacent villages to give you direct reports in the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in the Watching Mountains. Range 32 meters. 32 meters. Projection 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire! Forty yards to the right, sir. Ship range, 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire. Hit, sir. Got the tripod of one of them. They're stopped. The others are trying to repair it. Quick, get the range. Shift 50, 30 meters. 30 meters. Projection, 27 degrees. 27 degrees. Fire. Can't see the shell answer. Letting off a smoke. What is it? Black smoke, sir. Moving this way. Flying close to the ground. Moving fast. Put on gas masks. Get ready to fire. Shift to 24 meters. 24 meters. Projection, 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire! They can't see, sir. Smoke's coming nearer. Get the range. 
Bombing plane B-843 off Bayonne, New Jersey. Lieutenant Bolt, commanding eight bombers, reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. This is Bolt reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Morristown Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine partially crippled. Believed hit by shell from army gun in Wachung Mountains. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close to the earth of extreme density, nature unknown. No sign of heat ray. Enemy now turns east, crossing Passaic River into the Jersey marshes. Another straddles the Pulaski Skyway. Evident objective is New York City. They're pushing down a high-tension power station. The machines are close together now, and we're ready to attack. Plane circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. 200. There they go. The giant arm raised. Green flash. Spraying us with flame. 2,000 feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them, plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone! Eight! This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. Come in, please. This is Langham Field. Go ahead. Eight Army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines incapacitated by heat ray. All crashed. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... Newark, New Jersey. This is Newark, New Jersey. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey marshes. Reaches South Street. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use Route 7, 23, 24. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over, over Raymond Boulevard... Two X to L calling CQ. Two X to L calling CQ. Two X to L calling eight X three R. Come in, please. This is eight X three R coming back at two X two L. Eyes reception. Eyes reception. K, please. Where are you, eight X three R? What's the matter? Where are you? I'm speaking from the... 
roof of Broadcasting Building. I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as the Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. All communication with Jersey Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. People are holding service here below us in the cathedral. Now I look down the harbor, all, all manner of boats, overloaded with fleeing population, pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed. Noise and crowds like New Year's Eve in city. Wait a minute, the, the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five, five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man, wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be timed in space. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. His steel cowlish head is even with the skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. A uh, hundred yards away. It's, it's 50 feet.
2X2L. You are listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. The performance will continue after a brief intermission. Yeah, I think... Um, I think now is a good time to take an intermission. And, and a lot of the notes wrote down, and by the way, uh, Gummy Nerds, we appreciate your uh, your, 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 your commentary uh, your, your and commentary. the facts you're and, dropping and, uh, in the yeah. chat. Thank you um, so much. So we're, I think we're going to get most of that in the second, and we're going when we do the second half of the show. Right? Yeah, the whole, the whole point of the second half of the show, after y'all listen to this, for those of you who have never heard it, and those of you who have, is that we're going to kind of review a little bit of the sausage making that went into this production and how the plausibility of it becoming just an epic shit show, you know, for lack of a better pun, in the hysteria it caused. And uh, funny, you know, No Agenda producers will recognize the mass hysteria that obviously ensued because of this broadcast and the fact that we're going to point out here right now that yeah what you just heard was 39 minutes after the first time that they announced that this was a show a program not real 39 minutes of terror that gripped a nation or at least those that were close enough to their radios to hear the epic words of Orson Welles that fateful night yeah, it's um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Li- obviously, listening to this eighty something years later, I have a bunch of questions. Um, and and I've told him to write them down because he kept wanting to like interject, and I'm like, no, in order to preserve the integrity and the magic of this broadcast, you must simply write them in a book, and we will address them during the second half. Yeah. So you're welcome, pedalheads. There you go. And and not only that, I, yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, the version of this that we use. Now I think there's also they they I know they've re I don't know they cleaned up the audio. And yeah, they remastered it. it, but I was insistent. I wanted the clicks, pops, and white noise of that original broadcast. I felt that it lent itself to the authenticity of what we're trying to do here tonight. Okay, so there is about eighteen more minutes in this uh, in the recording that i have and uh and so uh i don't think we're going to interrupt it anymore but uh we figured it was it was a good time to pop in and say hey um so um by the way if you uh if you have your own feedback on uh, on war of the worlds and you know, and kind of how you and how you perceived it if you have questions uh and if you if you don't want to put them in the chat i'm sure and we've got people putting things in the chat but i tell you what uh go to 253-237-3321 and uh you know or or call 253 253- Two three seven three three two one. Maybe I should say that slower. Two five three two three seven three three two one. And tell us what you think about it. Meanwhile, we're going to continue with the world of worlds. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The War of the Worlds by H. G. Wells, starring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air. I set down these notes on paper. I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on earth. I've been hiding in this empty house near Grover's Mill, a 
small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life. A life that has no continuity with the present. Furtive existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature of Richard Pearson. I look down at my blackened hands and I try to connect them with a professor who lives at Princeton and who on the night of October 20th glimpsed through his telescope an orange splash of light on a distant planet. My wife, my colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my... my world. Where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Richard Pearson? What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? In writing down my daily life, I tell myself I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book that was meant to record the movements of the stars, but right, I must live, and to live, I must eat. Find moldy bread in the kitchen and an orange not too spoiled to swallow. Keep watch at the window. Time to time, I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. The smoke still holds the house in its black coil, but at length there's a hissing sound, and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on his machine spraying the air with a jet of steam as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as his huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. Morning. Morning. Sun streams in the window. The black cloud of gas is lifted and the scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm had passed over them. I venture from the house. I make my way to a road. No traffic. Here in their wrecked car, baggage overturned, a blackened skeleton. Push on north. For some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I've seen the Martians feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. Come to a chestnut tree. October. Chestnuts are ripe. They're my pockets. I must keep alive. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. Push on north, I find dead cows in a brackish field and beyond the charred ruins of a dairy in a silo. Main standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse. Deserted by the sea. Stride the silo, perches a weathercock. The arrow points north. North. Next day, I come to a city. City 
vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its building strangely dwarfed and leveled off as if a giant had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of his hand. Reached the outskirts, I found Newark. Newark, undemolished but humbled by some whim of the advancing Martians. Presently, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it. It rose up and became a man. A man armed with a large knife. Stop! Where do you come from? Oh, I come from... from many places. A long time ago, from Princeton. Princeton, huh? That's near Grover's Mill. Yes. Grover's Mill. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town down the river. There's only food for one. Which way are you going? I don't know. I guess I'm looking for people. Hey, what was that? Did you hear something just then? No. Only a bird. A live bird. Yeah. You get to know that birds have shadows these days. Say, we're in the open here. Let's crawl in this doorway here and talk. Have you seen any Martians? No. They're going over to New York. Night, the sky's alive with their lights, just as if people were still living in it. By daylight, you can't see them. Five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the flats from the airport. I think they're learning how to fly. Fly? Yeah, fly. Hmm. Then it's all over with humanity. Stranger, there's still you and I. Two of us left. Yeah. They got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in a uniform. Yeah, what's left of it. I was in the militia. National Guard. <laughs> That's good. There wasn't any war. Any more than there's war between men and ants. Yes, but we're eatable ants. I found that out. What'll they do to us? I thought it all out. Right now, we're caught as we're wanted. A Martian only has to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. But they won't keep on doing that. They'll begin catching us systematic, like keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't begun on us yet. Not begun? Not begun. All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with guns and such stuff and losing our heads and rushing off in crowds. Now, instead of our... Rushing around blind, we got to fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilization, progress. Yes, but if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so and no nice little dinners at restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. What is there left? Life, that's what. I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. Tamed and fattened and bred like an ox. What are you going to do? I'm going on. Right under their feet. I got a plan. We men as men, we're finished. We don't know enough. We got to learn plenty before we got a chance. 
We've got to live and keep free while we learn, see? I've thought it all out, see? Well, tell me the rest. Well, it isn't all of us that are made for wild beasts. That's what it got it. That's what it got to be. That's why I watched you. Watched you. All those little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. They used to run. Run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running to catch their commuter's train in the morning. Afraid they could can if they didn't. Running back at night. Afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. Yeah, and on Sundays. Worried about the hereafter. Well, the Martians, they'll be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages. Good food. Careful breeding. No worries. Yeah, after a week or so of chasing around the fields on empty stomachs. They'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? Sure, you bet I have. That isn't all. These Martians are going to make pets of some of them. Train them to do tricks. Who knows, get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. Yeah, and some maybe. They'll train to hunt us. Oh, no, it's impossible. Human yes, beings. they will. There's men who do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me by... Meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when the Martians own the earth? I got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under New York, there are miles and miles of them. The main ones, they're big enough for anybody. And there's cellars, vaults, underground storerooms, railway tunnels, subways. You begin to see, huh? We'll get a bunch of strong men together. No weakness. That rubbish, out. As you meant me to go. All right. Give you a chance, didn't I? Won't quarrel about that. Go on. Well, we got to make safe places for us to stay in, see? Get all the books we can. Science books. That's where men like you come in, see? We raid the museums. We'll even spy on the Martians. May not be so much we have to learn before... Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off. Heat rays right and left. Not a Martian in them. Not a Martian in them, see? But men. Men who've learned the way how. May even be in our time. Gee. Imagine having one of them lovely things with a heat ray wide and free. We'd turn it on Martians. We'd turn it on men. We'd bring everybody down on their knees. That's your plan. Yeah. You, me, a few more of us. We own the world. I see. Hey. Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Bye, stranger. Well, after parting with the artilleryman, I came at last to the Holland Tunnel, entered that silent tube... Anxious to know the fate of the great city on the other side of the Hudson. Cautiously, I came out of the tunnel and made my way up Canal Street. Reached 14th Street and there again were black powder and several bodies and an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses. I wandered up through the 30s and 40s. Stood alone on Times Square. Caught sight of a lean dog running down 7th Avenue with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. Made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. 
Walked up Broadway in the direction of that... that strange powder, past silent shop windows, displaying their mute wares to empty sidewalks. Past the Capitol Theater, silent, dark. Past a shooting gallery where a row of empty guns faced an arrested line of wooden ducks near Columbus Circle. I noticed models of 1939 motor cars in the showrooms facing empty streets. Over the top of the General Motors building, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. Hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine standing somewhere in Central Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. An insane idea. I, I, I rushed recklessly across Columbus Circle and into the park. I, I climbed a small hill above the pond at 60th Street, and from there I could see, standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cowls empty, their steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly, my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground. And there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Slain, after all, man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God, as wisdom, has put upon this earth. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general persuasion that through all the deep of space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere, now we see further, dim and wonderful is the vision I've conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastnesses of sidereal space, but a remote dream, maybe. Maybe that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve to them and not to us. Is the future ordained, perhaps? Ah, strange it now seems to sit in my peaceful study at Princeton, writing down this last chapter of the record, begun at a deserted farm in Grover's Mill. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers Enter the museum where the dissembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it. Bright and clean-cut, hard and silent under the dawn of that last great day. <laughs> This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. 
the Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian, it's Halloween. <laughs> Tonight, the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations, Coast to Coast, has brought you The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, the 17th in its weekly series of dramatic broadcasts featuring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the air. Next week, we present a dramatization of three famous short stories. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Otherwise known as CIA BS, as if you're, listen, you're listening to No Agenda. And, you know, it's funny because uh, there's so much I want to say about this, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll save it for the second half of the show. Um, I, although, before we get, to, before we get started, uh, we actually got a couple of boostograms during the, uh, during the play of The World of the Worlds. I do appreciate that. Um, we certainly do. Yeah, so Bully Steed sent six. Boosty Steed. Boosty Steed sent 6666 stats. Uh, brilliant of you all to play World of the Worlds. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, now we're gonna now we're gonna deconstruct it. You know, in the way that uh, um, you know we we we've we've learned from uh, the, our, our friends. At no in agenda. a way, only a no agenda producer can. That's right. And um, we also I don't know why do you keep boosting? Because I like to boost you, bitch. Boost us, bitch. You so, know they say lead by example, phone boy. Yeah, that, that that they do. All right, so you boosted three 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 three. Three, 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 three. That's stats. right. And I get so, to read my own message. How arrogant is that? Yeah. How arrogant is that? Well, <laughs> go on. I just wanted to say, Pedalheads, thank you for your courage. You made this broadcast magical beyond my wildest dreams, and I love you all. Oh, well, there you go. It's not stats. It's sats. Yeah, I know. Um, so, all right. So so before we get to the Toast and Jam, we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, we... I we we have a uh, we have our cavalcade of stupidity segment. Uh, by we Rev- do, and we absolutely love Sir Rev Cybertrucker for providing it for us. That is definitely some V for V right there. That's right, man so, leading by example. There you go. All right, so we're gonna play it and enjoy. Heidi ho, pedal heads, and welcome to the Rev Cybertrucker's cavalcade of stupidity. From 1978 to 1981, Orson Welles acted in a series of advertisements for Paul Masson California Wine. Years later, the commercials regained notoriety when a bootleg recording of outtakes was distributed, showing an apparently inebriated Welles on the set of one of the commercials. Seeing the comedic gold in these bootleg videos, YouTuber Placeboying decided to make a remix. And now for your laughing pleasure, this is Ah the French. By place boing. One or two, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. Ah, the French. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, 
All right, we will have to play the full version of that at the, at the during uh, Studio Thirty Three, which was which, beyond uh, awesome. So if you, yeah, so if you're listening to the recording, um, then uh, what you do is you, if you want to uh, be part of Studio Thirty Three, you actually do have to be here live. So after we are done with uh, the Lotus Effect, which uh, which uh, is live at four p.m. Central. Um, yeah, I know. I realize everybody's about to go through daylight saving time, the time warp, as it were. Uh, maybe I need to put that in the playlist. Uh, but uh, oh yes, you do. Yes, I do. I'm calling an audible right now. That's yeah. Happening. That is happening. So, um, so because Rocky Horror Picture Show for the Mofo that, win. That's right. So, um, so yeah. If you if you are uh, yeah if you're listening to a recording yeah if you if you have to join us on Saturday night so sometime after four p.m. Uh, Central Time uh, and and uh, yeah we and we stream tunes. Yeah, and would until- it really be all that bad, pedal heads? If you actually had to tune in for this shit show in order to get to the good stuff in Studio Thirty Three, the creamy go. center. There you go. So. But uh, but anyway, we'll play the, we'll play the full version in the uh, in an hour. Um, um, what do you, yeah, in, in the post show because that's what we do or the studio. Yes, we do. Okay, so now we are on to the toast and jam where we discuss the fun fun things we did this week. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just the two of us, or well, actually now we uh, actually today we had uh, we had your mom here. So that's right. I, My uh, mom got to be a part of the magic that is a Saturday in the world of Phoenix and Phone Boy. That's right. But uh, let's talk about uh, what what happened uh, earlier. Th- what happened earlier this week? I guess we'll start with the um, we'll start with uh, your tales from rideshare. You had some good stuff this week. I absolutely did. So. Many of you may have noticed someone that was in the chat earlier this evening that I believe it was Sean Rideshare or Sean Uber or something. That was actually one of my Rideshare customers. So thank you, sir, if you are still listening. He uh, He works for an ad company, and we had an interesting conversation. And I don't want him to get in trouble, so I'm not going to like, you know, drop any details or anything like that. But it was an amazing conversation. And he did mention that he has a podcast of his own. And I believe it's he and another gentleman of color. And I think they actually call it, and I love this, I think they call it like two black guys or two black men or something like that. I just think it's absolutely fantastic that they are, you know, they're not fucking woke. Like they get it. It's not about race. It's about other than the human race. So, you know, you, sir, thank you for your courage for actually keeping your word and showing up to experience the Lotus Effect tonight. And we have a couple from Brazil that I encountered, amazing people. And of course, you know, you can hear someone has an accent. And if I hear someone has an accent when they get into the rideshare, of course, it piques my curiosity as a human. And I try to strike up a conversation with as much respect as I can to find out, you know, where are they from and and things about them. So they ended up being from Brazil. And we had a wonderful conversation about food. And I asked them what it was about the country, this country, that they found the most appealing, basically, because they've been here for 25 years. And it was interesting because the wife, lovely lady, who, by the way, she was like, oh, you know, my English, not so good. Bull crap. This woman had better English than some of these people who I have to deal with when I call my credit card company. But anyway, so she actually told me that it was the security and the safety in our country that was most appealing to them. Because apparently in Brazil, for example, at like two in the morning, in America, you can be, 
you know, more or less downtown Knoxville and have your window open and nobody's going to give you shit if you're sitting at a red light with your window open in a car at two in the morning. In Brazil, she said, yeah, not so much. It's not safe. But she did say that the best pizza is in Sao Paulo. So, uh, yeah, we're going to totally do that at some point, phone boy, because I'm going to put some life into living by putting some pizza in my mouth from Brazil. Yeah, um, yeah. having I, I was in uh, Sao Paulo a few years ago, um, about this time, in fact, and um, very, um, yeah, it's, it's a very pretty country, I'll say that. Um, Sao Paulo, you can, uh, the, the city, yeah, there's definitely a, um, a, a separation between haves and have-nots, and you can you can clearly see it, and uh, some of the, there there is a, a lot of food uh, that is definitely available in, in um, near, you know, in, from different places in the world. Um, and that's what she said, that it's much like America in the sense that there's just a big melting pot of different cultures. So it does lend itself to some amazing culinary adventures that are to be had in Brazil. Absolutely. So, um, and what I love this, and so now, so for, the, for those of you who are, um, uh, yeah, probably know, or, uh, I... I so while she's doing rideshare, I'm sometimes listening in to, to to some of what's going on, and and I'm actually I'm actually really proud of her for um, well propagating the formula about value for value because I think it's you know, one of the and we're not and it's it's not necessarily about our show or or even her rides, but the no, idea I mean I mentioned the fact when I talk about the show and and I give our business cards out that we run on a value for value platform that we don't have sponsors, we don't have we're not shills for any corporations. We basically do what we want, how we want, and we're just trying to get a message out there to our listeners that give back what you get in all aspects of life. If, if you know, if you've enjoyed the, and what I tell my riders, if you have enjoyed the conversation that I've provided or whatever it may be during the time that you've been in my ride share, maybe it's the fact that my car is immaculately clean. Maybe it's the fact my car smells holiday appropriate. It could be a number of anything. But if essentially, if you got value from the ride that I provided above and beyond just the transportation to your destination from your origin, please give it back in the form of a tip, in the form of listen to the show, tell your friends about the show, chat in the chat with us. There are so many different ways that people can give back the value that they get from other people. And I just think it extends far past the podcasting platform. And Phoneboy is not only muted, but also not paying attention. No, I, I am paying I'm attention. Going to I, I, I'm deflate your balls. No, I am paying it. What I'm doing is I'm paying attention to the chat because, uh, yeah, of course, there's because uh, I, I saw an obvious song request in there by Sir Memro, so I had to, I had to make sure I that I understand. Um, and so, I, but you know what? Speaking of balls, mm-hmm. if I didn't break yours every now and again, you'd think I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we, we, uh, yeah, we. And did, you know, on the subject uh, of uh, Brazil, mm-hmm. who we have. What we have affectionately named Carnival, which is our new glass smoking apparatus of the pipe persuasion. That's right. Uh, it, when I looked at it, we were trying to come up with a name for it. And I was I was uh, given the task of doing so, and, I, and 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 honestly, I've never owned any glassware, so this is so this is a first for me. Um, and I love the, I love this particular. And this particular uh, particular piece uh, spoke to me when we were at the store uh, the other day and uh, bought it and called it Carnival and that's that. 
That's right, because you have to name your appliances. That's right. Na- name your name your appliance. Name your appliances. Okay, there you go. I, uh, there you go. Huh? So, um, and then uh, tell me about the falling star that you saw. Okay, so because of the obnoxiously early hour that I have to get up in the morning to bring my son to work or pick him up more appropriately, because he gets out at seven in the morning. Of course, it's dark in our little slice of heaven as I'm heading toward him. And I happen to be fortunate enough, and it was kind of, (laughs) it was actually kind of a coincidence. I happened to be listening to the Orson Welles broadcast at the time that I saw and wished upon a falling star, which was just kind of random, a really pretty When you wish upon a star... Makes no difference who you are. Sorry, I've been, I've been, uh, I have been completely ruined by watching far too much Disney. Before way I knew there were fucking much. pedos, like they are way, but, way too much. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so like I said, <laughs> okay, um, that was that was amazing. Okay, so um, for the first time in a while, I did a tarot the other day, and and, and a tarot card that we covered back uh, some episodes ago was the was the Tower card. And uh, what happens uh, when when that shows up in a draw? It usually means there's uh, uh, there is some destruction going on. Uh, sometimes it's uh, good, and sometimes it's maybe not so good. And it was in, and this uh, tarot draw was in the context of my divorce, and I was I was sitting on the bed doing it, and 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 uh, yeah, I, I, when I drew that card, I I uh, I saw it and I laughed and I, and I said, "Well, the universe has got a really good sense of humor." Um, and uh, yeah, it was related to the ongoing divorce. I'll I'll, I'll spare you all the details of it because uh, it's uh, because it's ongoing. Because it's ongoing, and yeah, there, it's it's uh, you know all I can say at this point is get your popcorn. Shit's about to go down. Popcorn dot Jeff. That's right. Um, yeah. So um, now something else. I also so I went to the post office yesterday. Uh, I had to go. I had to mail something to my uh, my attorney uh, that was that was notarized, and, and uh, I also had and I had to get stamps anyway. So I actually went into the post office, and this is the first time I had been into the the post office in town. And um, and actually, and I was you know of course they're advertising their signs, their their their, their stamps, right? And so they're forever stamps, as so a forever USA or whatever. And I noticed that several of the signs had like a cross going through the forever and and did it look like it was something that had been manufactured like that or maybe somebody had crossed it out no multiple not no multiple it was added intentionally in multiple places wow on this sign which wow you know and i'm and i my immediate when i when i walked out of the post office i'm like the fuck are they saying the USA isn't forever? I mean, well, nothing's forever, I guess. I mean, everything's good, but are so you know, is the truth wanting to come out? I mean, this is you know, this is a these are uniformed members of the federal government, and, and I'm still kind of surprised that in this part of the world, even today, there's still people wearing their uh, their face diapers. There was a there, the, one of the guys behind the de- the guy that helped me behind my on the behind the desk was was still wearing a mask. Yeah, and we've already, I thought we were past that, but. Um, so, um, and then the last thing is, uh, yeah, we got some new toys. We did. And actually, the new toys happened to be partially responsible, my new toy anyway, yeah. for the quality of the show that we are currently offering you all, because I along with my podcast partner in crime over here, have procured new iPads. Yeah, my, well, I ordered mine today. So I use it. There is an iPad I use for, for, uh, for things in the show. Like, uh, you know, like, let's see if I can, let's see if I can do this. Uh, 
with all the you know all the different uh, you know the, the, some of the sound effects we played. Yes, the show. You, you you can do some pretty cool stuff. Which when you told me what it cost for that app, I went, "Yeah, I'll wait." Yeah, exactly. So a um, little pricey. So regard, but uh, my iPad is uh, I don't know five years old. The battery uh, barely makes it through the show because uh, it has to have the screen on because it's a you know it's a soundboard, um, and and I don't really use it uh, for much. And it's not getting the current updates and that kind of thing. So I was like, all right, I guess it's finally time to get a get a new one. So I'll have my own um, here in the next uh, well, the next couple days. Uh, you know, it's kind of amazing what you can what you can order through. Um, it's um, but but it's but it is uh yeah so uh for for her i think it's important because there's it's extremely important yeah. i mean let's just face it y'all doing rideshare takes up a majority of my day from sunup to sundown between contracted clients that i have personally and the uber and lyft that i do on the books so Essentially, I needed something that wasn't going to be my big bulky laptop to be able to keep up with because I know you loyal pedal heads have noticed that, yeah, last week's show really kind of sucked like a Hoover. Sucked like a Hoover? Okay. And unfortunately, the last few weeks, I have not been giving 100% to the Lotus Effect because I've been worried about my own damn ass, to be honest, my own self-preservation of being able to pay my bills so that I don't lose everything that I have. You know, it's amazing when you make a big baller move like buying a new car and buying an iPad and getting a new phone plan and, oh yeah, quitting a fucking, you know, 14-year career to completely switch directions yeah, there's going to be some fallout from that. So I'm I'm really trying to minimize the fallout that I have in trying to fix myself life-wise after my divorce and also in the transition employment and education-wise. So, you know, no regrets. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm all in on what I'm doing. And I couldn't be happier. But yeah, ultimately, that big bulky laptop just was not going to be feasible to try to maneuver and handle... Not to mention, it takes time to power it down. It takes time to power it up. I just didn't want it draining a battery and me having to run an inverter, even a tiny little 300 water that I can plug into my you know, 12 volt socket, which I only have one in my car, so that would kind of suck because I couldn't charge my yeah, well, there's, irrelevant. Well, there's honestly like the iPad you got is much more powerful than the laptop you have. So, well, good to know. But you know, I got a Gen 9 and uh, I ordered a case for it. And I, it's a case that has a wireless Bluetooth keyboard. I'm loving this thing. I got so much work done. And even though I was late to get the rest of the show content done, because I just couldn't. Like, 2 a.m., I didn't even realize I fell asleep till I opened my eyes again, sitting with my, you know, my setup in front of me, putting the show notes together and this and that. And I just had to shut it down and go, okay, at this point, the universe is saying go to bed. And then, I mean... I love you, Pedalheads, and I love our show, but I got my mom all up in in the place, and the opportunity to go have coffee with my mom while I worked on show content, which ran a little long, and then take her to a tchotchke shop, which made her epically happy. And yeah, it ended up, you know, it, it cost us a little extra time. You know, I admit it, and, and I apologize to y'all, but at the same time, I kind of don't feel bad in the sense that I got a chance to spend time with my mom. So you know, apologies yet no apologies. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we, yeah, Sir Ben Marsh, Yeah, we don't we don't have Tom Collins' cock in our mouth. Okay, 
But uh, for, um, yeah, of course, you know, is it, uh, you know, the question is whose cock in your mouth do you have, depending on which, which set of tools you use. So, um, well, this is true. Yeah. So, um, but, 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 but let's, but let's, but say, okay, I, but say, I'm bought in. I'm an Apple cult member, fully indoctrinated. I'm not going to lie. This is a game changer for me no. in being able to work on the show and not feel like I'm not you know, pulling my weight, even with all my weight loss. Yeah, this, exactly. you know, this is this. So I think, but since you mentioned your mom, who's actually in, uh, who, yeah, who's, who's who, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've got here in the, in the blossom with us. We uh, do. Yeah. And, um, so we, we actually took her on our little, uh, you know, when, on our, when we did our stuff, yeah, we did, we did end up going to grinder house and we took her over to, um, you to know, the yarn got, patch. Yeah. To the yarn patch. She got some good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, over to the, the tchotchke shop, uh, yep. we, we'd lovingly refer to fifth street marketplace. Very much. Um, so, but before that, we took her to the we took her to the farmers market. It's fun. So the farmers market here is winding down. It, it, it's it uh, it is the end of the season. Uh, we're in the we're in the fall, but uh, our all of our friends were there, um, and we uh, you know and and more things were purchased. Uh, Randolph Farms, of course. We yeah they they gave us a good deal on soup stock, which was great. Um, oh my gosh! Uh, yes. yes, our freezers are literally completely full. There's no room for anything else in them. Yeah, until we nosh on some major carnivore treat yeah exactly so um yeah and then um yeah we still we bought yet another chicken from casey farms that you're that you're going to butcher and turn into something well Uh, because i wanted some boneless breasts because ultimately i need two packs per meal especially because we've kidnapped my mom to detox her and get her on the no sugar no grain agenda yeah exactly and 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 yeah i mean it's yeah so we did restock things uh We, we, we very much restocked even though it wasn't necessarily in Con, yeah. you know, in in correlation to her being here, it was a happenstance. Yeah, we just happened to get. I mean, again, the, we got they gave us a good deal because it's like they, they said, well, nobody buys the soup stock. It's like, well, yeah, they, it's they, like I can do plenty of stuff with that. Yeah, soup they, stock, they, yeah, so, they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, uh, they, they gave us a pretty good deal on that, and it's you know, it's it's also very high quality stuff. Uh, this is why you know you're th- we 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 went and saw Casey Farms. Um, they're they you know they yeah so we got them their stuff uh, um grace yeah you know, i think we buy buy another couple of candles from grace hill it's time to time to do that um actually debell was yeah we had you got uh you you actually got a massage uh, i i got an impromptu hand massage that went all the way up my arm and and down to my back which yeah. was amazing from felicia yeah. at debell yeah we, what we, a sweetheart yeah um yeah all because i well i was curious because she has some salves that she makes yeah because she grows all these amazing herbs that she makes into teas and salves and uh tinctures potions etc and i was curious you know how the how the salve would moisturize my hands compared to the hand cream from that yeah. you know designer shop that I shop at that we will not mention the name of because apparently we've sold out. So essentially, I did. Um, apparently, we sold. out. I liked the salve that I got. I, I might actually go next weekend and get some from her and keep it in the car or my purse because my hands are not really dry right now and it's been you know many hand washings and several hours for sure since she massaged my hands with it yeah it's uh i think we we, yeah i mean it's uh and she had you know i think what what was she had they they had there actually it was actually it's funny listen i was listening to uh this uh um you know 
Jeff, right? Is this, that's mm-hmm. yeah. Um, saying that since they start, since they moved to moved to the area and started their farm a few years ago, he's lost like two hundred pounds, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, they're because they're eating clean and everything. And I mean, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have known the guy was you know. The, I mean, I could. I'm trying to. He's he's got a few inches on both of us, I think. Right? He's a sturdy dude. Yeah. You, you put him in a flannel, he'll look like a lumberjack. It's not yeah. going to lie, but no. he's the sweetest guy. Oh yeah, you know. I, I say they, yeah. They, I mean, they've got between the two of them, they've got a, they've got a, they've got eleven a, kids. I think. Yeah. Wow. Said. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a heck of a big old family at Christmas yeah. faux show. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, um, and yeah, we 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 will probably get together with uh, some of our while the farmers because I think the farmers market opens again in May, right? So it closes in a few. I think it closes in a few weeks. It doesn't so. open until May. Yeah, that's, I think that's one. That oh wow! Start. Yeah, because the one back in Marvel opens in like April. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure not when. Irrelevant. That, yeah. We'll but anyway, figure it out. Yeah, we'll but figure it out. But essentially, yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, we saw a lot. Of, so, yeah, we got to saw a lot of people. So, um, I guess we're going to go to a refire topic now. I think we probably should because from what I hear through the grapevine, we have several voicemails for this show today. Yeah, we do. And so, we are going to go ahead and we're going to so we're going to start with this one. Um, yeah, we we, we uh, yeah, so you can hit us with a voicemail at 253-237-3321 at any time because Google Voice is always standing by. And you can give us your way in on any topic, future, not future, but you know, present or past. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so let's, uh, we'll play this uh, voicemail here. Yo, phone boy in uh, Phoenix. You know, this is uh, East Coast Crackpot calling in again. Um, life on other planets? Horse. Yacht. It's garbage. It's nonsense. There's no such thing as other planets. There's only Earth. You can't leave Earth. There's uh, dry ice in the air. And that's how come we'll never have to worry about global warming because there will always be more ice in the air. And CO2 makes more ice, and there's no planets. There's no life on other planets. There's some rumors floating around there could be life on faraway continents, which there's some debate to that. I'm not sure about it. Definitely no life on other planets, though. And I mean, you can't go to space. SpaceX is fraud. I say investigate Elon Musk for fraud. I say investigate Mark Kelly for fraud. I say investigate NASA for fraud. Oh, by the way, I worked with Dave Albert who um, had a weird story about how he camped out of nothing. Well, Dave Albert was actually an astronaut on the, um, the Challenger disaster. He told me one day, he came up and he said, Captain, I work for NASA. A couple hours later, he's my boss at this computer company, retail control systems in Enfield, New Hampshire. It's like uh, year 98, 99 or something, night. So he comes to me, and later on that day, he was like, Captain, I lied, I never worked for NASA. I said, that's fine, Dave, because you don't really strike me as a NASA type anyway, which he was really offended by that. But after, years later, about a decade later, um, I was watching the Space Busters, or Globe Busters it's called, and they were showing the Challenger disaster um, team pick, the picture of all that. And I said, hey, that's Dave. Hey, that's Eugene Pucci. Hey, that's Lori Albert. Uh, Christine McAuliffe, or whatever that dumb girl is, the dumb teacher that they say died. That's Lori Albert from Enfield, New Hampshire, or was from Enfield, New Hampshire. They moved out to Colorado. Yeah, it's all phony and fake, and F them the hell. This is East Coast Crackpot, given with the real information. Yeah, that's right. They are phony and fake. I worked with them. And his story was so bullshit. I was wondering, how come How come this guy's got all this money? Yeah, he's a poor potato farmer from Maine. Uh, Dave Albert, D-A-B-E-A-L-B-E-R-T. Yeah, he was on, he's on the team. Eugene Fucci was on the team, too. Um, the names are different in the picture, of course. You know? And that's how things work on Hollywood. Oh, the Screen Actors Guild did 9-11, by the way. The Screen Actors Guild did... Um, January 6th, too. And it's a secret, so let's all hold hands and tell a secret, however that goes. 
All right, everybody. Have a good one, and fuck the government, fuck the system, fuck them all. Beast Coast Crackpot, live from Phoenix, Arizona. Fuck the government, all to death and back. And not fuck them, but you know what I mean? The opposite of fuck, war them or kill them, smash them. Smash the fuck out of them. Fuck you, Mark Kelly, you asshole. Thank you, East Wait. Coast Crackpot. I, I Raging out a little bit. We like it. We like it. Well, and those we conspiracy get, theories being thrown around in the blossom. That's right. WTC said it won't go away. Yeah, I might have to play that in the post show, too. Um, because, uh, yeah, that, that's, that is an actual song. Um, yeah, thank you, uh, thank you, East Coast Crackpot. That there's, there's a Definitely lot. a lot to unpack in that voicemail, but we like voicemails that are chuck full of conspiracies and yeah, well, and, and and exactly. Well, what's the difference between a conspiracy and a fact? Probably about six months, maybe three months. <laughs> three months at this point. Yeah, maybe less. Uh, there's things going on, and you know, and that's actually something to, to point out. I know we'll, well, I know we'll get into this as we get into the show, but uh, yeah, there, there's, you know, we have so many sources of information now that it's easy to, uh, well, get. Yeah, well, you can literally, you know, pick up that thing which you're listening on, whether it be a computer, a cell phone, or otherwise, and pretty much debunk any bullshit that you might be hearing on the news media. Or a radio program if it's 1938. Yeah, exactly, right. Um, but, but in 1938, they didn't have all this technology. That's right. They didn't have all this science that I don't understand. Science. Yeah, this is my job. Okay, so we have another. Uh, we have another voicemail. Would you like to? Would you like to hear the voicemail? Of course, I do. All right, let's do that. Hey guys, Rev here. Uh, regarding your question, I have seen a lot of uh, UAP, um, unidentified aerial phenomena. But I can't say that any of them were UFOs or aliens, and I can't say they weren't. So my first one that I saw, I was actually in Sacramento. This was during my uh, my time as a trainee when I first started driving truck. But I was coming down off of Donner Pass, coming down uh, 80 into uh, Sacramento. And as I was coming down the hill, I happened to look up and see a trio of blanks in a chevron or triangle formation. It just kind of slowly went across the sky and then disappeared, then came back a little while later, probably two or three minutes later, and uh, were going in the opposite direction, and then I saw all three of them just kind of go up and then disappear. Very weird. Very, very weird. Thank, thank you, Rev. Oops, we gotta turn. Yeah, we gotta turn that. Turn down the speakers. I wish I had JCD. Turn down your speakers. Actually, I do have KG. I, 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 yeah, I got. I'm gonna have to do that. But uh, I tried so hard to go shh because I was trying to get to the speaker button first before you spoke. Yeah, well, that sometimes only happens. because Rev's voicemail was a little low, and I wanted to make sure that I could hear clearly all of the words that he was saying. Yeah, exactly. Because he's got a lot of a uh, had a lot of, he had a lot of great things to say there for sure. Um, Absolutely. Um, so we got one more voicemail. Hit uh, me with it. All right, we'll hit you with it because, uh, yeah, we do that. And if I can do that. Hi. Um, I know we've been visited by another planet. They're keeping it real hush-hush, but I know we've been visited. That's all I have to say now. Uh, she, Thanks, mom. Yeah, exactly. I love my mom, y'all. Phoenix's mom for the win on on the voicemail. Yeah, there here. there you go. So I don't know how she knows, but you know, I've been learning not to question my mom. Yeah. Well, in in recent weeks, I've found out there's a lot of shit that woman hiding. 
<laughs> like yes. the fact that, uh, yeah, we now know why I'm an empath. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, yeah. Mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, Thanks, so, Obama. Well, yeah, we could do that too. So, all right, I think uh, I think we're done with the the toast and jam section. And if you guys are uh, actually, you know, what I got to do is I've got to figure out. Let's see, yeah, okay, but I don't necessarily want things to go. But in any case, um, let me. I'm going to actually. I'm going to actually open up the phone lines. If you want to call into two five three two three seven three three two one while we are doing our our shtick here. Uh, yeah, you can go ahead and call in. We want to. Uh, uh, we want to. We hear would it. absolutely love to hear from anyone who wants to call in two five three two three seven three three two one during the second half of the show as we kind of uh, open open up the uh, the story behind the world worlds and expose the truth behind some of the sausage making that went into it and how it either would or would not seem plausible that people would believe that this was an actual event. All right. Well, um, all right. This is, this is, uh, this is your uh, part of the show here. So uh, that's right. This is, this is where I take the yeah. reins and uh, hopefully steer this thing right down the primrose path of destruction. All right. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's okay. Just having listened to it. I mean, I'm kind of now, okay. First of all, I'm listening to it 84 years later. So let's, let's, so, and, and with, with the knowledge that it's fake, but I'm sitting, so, you know, when you're listening to something that you know is fake, you're trying to figure out the, you're, you're trying to figure out the Easter eggs, right? You're trying to figure out what, you know, what in the, uh, you know, in, in the story, if you were, if you were, you know, if you were knowing that it was fake, if you're listening, right? And so there's a lot of that, that, again, having been the first time that I'd listened to the War of the Worlds, it was, I didn't know where the things were. Where, uh, where, where the things were breaking or not, break, you know, or, or, you know where they, where they might, you know, kind of the direction they were heading. But I mean, there's so much I could say there. But I think I'll wait until your, um, um, you know, go through some of your commentary that you that that, uh, that was prepared, and then we'll, but we'll, uh, I'm sure I will have uh, my interjections here as we go. I'm sure you will, and that's fine. So, I want to start off with the fact that. When the cast was first told about Orson Welles' idea for the adaptation of War of the Worlds, they thought that it was far too silly for anyone to think that it was anything but a radio program meant to entertain the listeners. And it's interesting because the Mercury Theater had only been on the air 17 weeks at the time of the broadcast, and the script for the program was put together in literally less than a week. Yeah, well, I mean, sounds it sounds uh, yeah, sounds like our shows, which are almost always put together. Last <laughs> I know, week. right? Maybe we're channeling a little bit of Orson Welles in that. So Welles admitted he wanted the broadcast to be in such a manner as it would be believable that it was actually happening and not just a radio play. But before even knowing the book he wanted to cover, he pitched the idea of doing such a show to his producer John Houseman and to a v- veteran radio actor Paul Stewart, who's also the co-director of the Mercury broadcast. All right. So my question is, is it, is it the same John Hausman that was on, what was it, uh, the paper chase or whatever? Or I highly doubt it considering I, uh, the time. Well, given how old occurred. John Hausman was, I'm, yes. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to go look that up. Well, consult- you know what? Then by all means, you do your little Google foo and look it up. All right. Well, then I'm going to. And I'm going to continue with the fact that the story of the H.G. Wells classic drew heavily on the misconceptions that the Canali which was a word that had been mistranslated from an Italian astronomer who described the dark lines on the surface of Mars as canali, the Italian word for channels. Well, the mistranslation to canals implied they were in fact not naturally formed and that they were built, 
which, of course, was further propagated by a wealthy self-taught astronomer in a series of books describing a highly intelligent Martian civilization. So at the time of the radio broadcast in the 30s, science fiction was mostly the purview of children being in the form of comic strips and books. And alien invaders seemed confined to the pages of pulp magazines and Sunday funnies. Any thought that Martians might actually exist was largely discredited. So I, I, I have to point out the uh, the John Hausman connection. Actually, it was John really Hausman. it is yes the same John Hausman. I mean, I could I, fantastic. I, I, no, I, this is great, phone uh, boy. Yeah, this is wow. Yeah, so put it. Yeah, so uh, because yeah, so after so yeah, he he got involved with the Mercury Theater from the, in that time frame. And then now, interestingly enough, the Book of Knowledge article does not mention his collaboration. With, and he mentioned collaborating with Orson Welles, but not not necessarily on War of the Worlds. But it is interesting right. that his that his name came up. I heard that name. And well, went, it, it doesn't surprise me that he would vaguely distance himself because you know, as we'll talk about a little bit later, you know. He consistently denied that it was intentionally done where Wells went back and forth a lot. And, you know, because of this broadcast, Wells. Oh, actually, actually gained... I, see, I do see the list on War of the Worlds. He's actually. He's actually oh, okay. Yeah, in the radio, because the Mercury Theater was, came before the radio stuff, I guess, or it was part of the. It was part, part of, of the radio. radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So. Howard Koch was a recently hired writer for the Mercury Broadcasts, and he was tasked with the, creating the late breaking news bulletins for the show. And, you know, Koch being the first member of the team to read the 1898 classic, he took an immediate dislike to it. He found it dull, he found it dated, and he just, after three days of trying to work on the script, he, you know, <laughs> He initially called Koch and, or sorry, called Houseman and said, look, it's hopeless. You know, see if Wells will reconsider because it it was just becoming, you know, it, it was becoming a sinking ship. But in the end, you know, he did end up writing a script that was worthy of the task he had been given. And... It, a little white lie actually is is what propagated this show really happening because Houseman couldn't get a hold of Wells and had to kind of make a game time decision. So he lied to Koch and said, "Yeah, Orson's not willing to do anything else, and you know, get your ass back to work, basically." So within a day and a night, he had the script completed. You know, at least the first draft of it. And despite the stripped-down version of the show, which included no music and no sound effects, it was destined to take on a life of its own. The original recording of it hasn't survived, but the first draft of the script did, and it's located at the Wisconsin Historical Society in Madison, Wisconsin, among this man's yeah. Writings and So, yeah, kind of kind of reminds me of the recording of the moon landing. Just yeah, saying. Isn't that suspect as well? Yeah, exactly. So, Space may be the final frontier, but it's made in a Hollywood basement. That's right. In Californication. Correct, Amanda. We love RHCP. Anyway, so unlike other Mercury Theater works, which relied heavily on first-person narration, Wells wanted to do something different. So... Because of the passiveness of the main character, he knew the monologue would be far too boring for this style of broadcast, and Houseman and Stewart agreed. 
So although the adaptation had been the brainchild of Wells, eh, he offered very little in the way of suggestions or assistance with the script. His time was actually better spent, in his opinion, on another project he was working on, which was a stage production of a literary work called Danton's Death. Now, with the future of his theater company in jeopardy, he had precious little, precious little time to concentrate on the radio program. Now, lending credence to the facts being reported on when an alarmed tone was the absence of the customary station identification break, which would occur customarily on the half hour for fictional programming. Now, actual breaking news was exempt from this rule. And after the initial announcement that this was just an adaptation of a literary piece, a play, if you will, which occurred within the first 30 seconds of the broadcast at the top of the hour when it began at 8 p.m. Yeah, the announcement that it was just a show wouldn't occur again for 39 minutes. So that essentially was two-thirds of the way through the broadcast, which was in stark contrast to the usual halfway point that other fictional works yeah. So so I so of course we looked this up, right? Because at some point, because because you know there's there because uh, we don't want to uh, fact check false. We didn't want to fact check false. We don't have to. But um, so it turned. Now it may have been. So I, I suspect, and I don't know because I didn't. Uh, this was uh, one of those things that was kind of a game time uh, lookup. Um, so it was codified into law probably in, in, in like the late '60s. Uh, this 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 concept that a radio station has to do a station identification at least once an hour. Now, it may have been standard practice before that, but in terms, you know, so my guess is that because of the War of the Worlds, that was something that happened so people could realize that, yeah, maybe this is a fake thing. Now, I, and, and listening to it, I wrote down, you know, one of the notes I put down is like, there was a couple a couple of natural places in there where they could have easily, uh, you know, advertised or whatever that, that this was a, um, you know, that this was a piece of fiction or whatever. Yeah, it would have literally taken maybe five or ten seconds to just announce the fact that, you know, you're listening to the CBS broadcasting station, the Mercury Theater, Orson Welles, War of the Worlds. Like, I don't give a shit. They had a responsibility to their listeners to make sure that they were not going to be so sucked in. I mean, mind you, this is radio. This is the days of not visual. Right. So well, you have only your imagination, which as we know, some people have pretty av- vivid imaginations. Yeah. And and it's, you know, again, with the fact that this was like 19, you know, 1938 and there's just, there, there's trying to listen to this with the mind of somebody from 1938. And, and it, it's and actually. And that's exactly how I tried to listen to it was right. thinking about back in 1938, what, a, what would the mindset have been? Take, you know, take technology virtually out of well, I, okay the I, I have to wonder okay and this and this is something i don't and, and i don't think you this was part of your research but a question so so it's clear that people reacted to this as if it really happened i wonder how many people actually reacted and it was just did it just get overblown was actually it, yeah. uh i recently spoke to someone at the very beginning of what we when we decided to do this who actually said that it was <laughs> 
what a surprise, M5M blew shit out of proportion because it truly was only the people of the town of Grover Mills that really lost their shit over this. Because Grover's Mill is a real place, and it truly is located where they stated that it's located. So it's kind of plausible that people would freak out, but at the same point in time, like, you're listening to this radio program talking about how these big-ass Martian machines are pounding the earth and just wiping people out with their heat ray did people not have windows they could look out and maybe you know use the brain they were born yeah. with you, yeah as yeah as uh yeah, as robin williams said you got a window open it yeah yeah pretty much yeah so um but it's it's kind it's just it's weird yeah, I mean, it seems like that, yeah, I mean, they, in very rapid succession, it looks like they made several revisions to the script. Um, and, you know, they, they wanted to uh, rem you know, remove uh, a, a character's mention of a specific measure of time in which a massacre had occurred, which was what, last night. If these omissions and several others had not been made, it would have been more than likely made the, the fact that this is a work of fiction much more obvious. Now, Hausman's desire to make the transition between real time and fictional time seemed seamless resulted in a story so well told it made the impossible seem possible although listening to it now and of course obviously i was i, I was clued into the fact that this was uh that this was fake and so i was looking for the fake stuff but i you know i think not everybody was fooled by it but of course the m5m made a big deal about it um sounds familiar yeah, in the initial drafts, and you can actually, and I think you can actually hear it in the in the piece, right? That it, 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 you can hear that that the story had it was especially when you go after that thirty nine minute break. Uh, it clearly is depicting the, it, it clearly depicts the story unfolding over several days, with the final one after numerous revisions portraying this is happening in real time and not over a longer time span as the original had intended. Yeah, and uh, don't forget the fact that in the early parts of this broadcast, there were time drops that just didn't make any logical sense yeah exactly um you know the act of aliens taking over an entire world in 40 minutes just doesn't um you know certainly doesn't seem uh, all that realistic um you know it it, it seems you know the, the the mercury broadcast members uh, also thought it was uh, pretty absurd that that would happen but um, oh, it just shows that you know rational thinking rarely occurs in the face of paralyzing fear no matter how irrational that fear is i mean covid 1984 anyone hello well why, why the big secret people are smart they can handle it the person is smart people are dumb panicky dangerous animals and you know it yeah how do you yeah obviously um this really you know that this really drove that point home that something so implausible as an alien invasion a martian invasion if you will that literally wiped out the earth in 40 minutes yeah not so much yeah um so yeah the, the intense realism achieved through studying and mirroring the abject horror conveyed by a reporter witnessing the hindenburg and it kind of did sound like that and the hindenburg i think was only a few years before this um um, you know, made this story not only believable, but also frightening enough that people took their own lives or were trampled in stampedes as people attempted to flee. Now, that could have also been just over-dramatized. You know, the, the question begs to be answered, did people actually commit suicide? Did they actually experience being trampled to death? I mean, is there some kind of documentation that proves this wasn't just propaganda by the M5M, which we all know is very... Uh, famous for doing 
Yeah, I mean, okay, so you know, we we joke that uh, you know that, that CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, or or the the uh, what is it? CIA I, 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 Broadcasting I, 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 System. CIA broad, so the CIA, I don't think existed in 1938, but certainly they were. Uh, you know, they, I'm sure they were still a, a propaganda arm for the government. They just couldn't be that uh, brazen because the Smith Month the Smith Munt Act was still a thing. Um, Maybe. I don't know. But Ora Nichols, who is the sound effects head for the CBS affiliate of the station, assisted by devising chillingly effective notices to represent the Martian war machines. Orson Welles personally thanked Ora for her work on the program, stating it was the best job anybody could have done for anybody. Even CBS's legal department demanded only minor changes to the script, such as altering institution names (coughs) to prevent liability suits that might arise for the unauthorized use of names in telling of the story. Although, you know, they got the, obviously they couldn't, they didn't do that with the locations. Um, Well, what was interesting was this radio critic approached one of the Mercury Theater actors during the later part of October and wanted to know, you know, what Wells was preparing for the Sunday show. And the actor was just completely blasé. He was like, you know what? It's lousy. It might even bore you to death. Oh, how wrong he would be. It wasn't till being told the program was shaping up to be very dull and facing failure on both stages and radio that Wells devoted his full attention to the broadcast. Yeah, and uh, well, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's for for fake news to be believable, you have to do some work, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you can't just phone it in there, Ori. Yeah, that that's right. Uh, so the key revisions that were made by him involved the pace at which the content was delivered, and drawn out the musical interludes between the news bulletins. For as much as Houseman objected to the changes, Wells overruled him. Uh, under the belief that the listeners would only believe the invasion and the annihilation in its rapidness if the pace of the broadcast was slow to start and then ramped up as the events unfolded. And the lawyers for CBS objected to a speech that was given by the Secretary of War, which was omitted in the final script, but exists in the original draft located in Wisconsin. So how he got around it is Wells changed the status of the cabinet member to the Secretary of the Interior when he reinserted it into the script using a vocal promotion by an actor he knew had a pitch perfect impression of FDR, which seemed to appease the network. So... Despite the time, you know, despite at the time that it was forbidden to use the president to, and I'm sorry, let me try that again. Yeah, it's not a side effect of the marijuana poisoning. Despite at the time it being forbidden to imitate the president of the United States in order not to mislead the listeners, you know, by implying to the talent that making the character sound presidential, he was able to skirt the rule. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and Dorson thrived in this type of environment where there was a medium degree of, uh, and, you know, or, 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 or did, you have, you have di- discipline, what the hell? Okay. Shut up. Yeah. So Don't give me a hard time. I'm, dis- I'm noticing there are typos, okay? Yeah, there, yeah, Bite this, it. Di- yeah, minimum degree of discipline for this radio. He's confined to the clock with his unwavering minutes and seconds ticking away, which just successfully deliver a program of quality. Wells seemed to work best when under the gun with a disaster waiting for him. And this was definitely shaping up to be that disaster with as much attention as he was putting into his tireless work. There was one night, the night when Koch called him about uh, doing a different thing because the other guy... Uh, Houseman or whatever, and I might have, yeah. When Houseman called Wells, 
that night because Koch was whining and pissing and moaning that it was fucking boring and he couldn't get any, you know, any legs to it. Yeah, Orson, uh, he wasn't able to get hold of him because for 36 hours, this dude was like rehearsing this Danton's death play and he just, he was ignoring this radio program. He figured he kind of had it in the hands of his, you know, cohorts and that everything was going to be fine. But (laughs) yeah, everything was not fine. It was really not, it was turning out that it wasn't going to be a good program. And it wasn't until just before the show was going to begin that the cast began giving their best efforts for the first time, actually believing the final product to be something meritorious. Because the result of the efforts on the part of all involved with this production was a show that would terrify many of its listeners, even those who never forgot the whole thing was just a play. And it's long been debated as to whether Orson Welles intentionally set out to deceive his audience on that late October night. But one thing's known for sure. Instead of ruining his career, it catapulted him to Hollywood, where he would make Citizen Kane in 1941. And he didn't harbor any regrets to the outcome of the broadcast rocketing him to celebrity. I mean, who would? You'd have to be insane to be like, oh, my God, this thing that I did made me famous. Oh, I just can't have this. Yeah, but uh, clearly, yeah, I mean, yeah, it made him very popular. I mean, you know, the, the, you know those, uh, the, the, I, yeah, that that uh, that parody remixed whatever the the Rev shared with us. Yeah, it's an, oh the yeah, wine commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll sell we'll sell no Y'all, wine. If you haven't time. seen it, go on YouTube and just type in Orson Welles commercial. You will find more than likely you will find the commercial that this is a mishmash of it is hilarious and thank you ref cyber trucker for turning me on to it originally yeah and Citi- yeah i gotta mention citizen kane also and bully steed mentions that in the uh-huh. but definitely well because we talked about it in the thing here because that's that's definitely what orson right. wells is uh, yeah that's uh, that's why i said yeah. you know he he made citizen kane in 41 that was literally only three years after this radio broadcast had occurred yeah so in later years, he started to claim that he was hiding delight a Halloween morning at having fooled some of his listeners in order to teach him a lesson and not believe everything they heard on radio. Much like we say nowadays about the Internet, you know, how far we've come, yet how far we still have to go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the claims made by Wells have consistently been disputed by the other collaborators on the broadcast, including Hausman and in, 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 uh, in yeah, yeah Koch. I, I, Koch, I, I see. I, I also see that and think Koch brothers, which I wish I wish I'd had the. Well, yeah, I can probably pull that up just because it's because it's a. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a classic. Uh, you know, there we go. We got We got I've got to actually. Yeah, I've got to play this because it's been. Uh, Koch brothers. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it, but absolutely uh, not. Yeah, strong denials continued long after legal reprisals posed. Uh, uh, posed a threat. Although the intent of the Mercury was to interject realism into where the worlds, some of the most effective realism happened almost accidentally as they were merely trying not to be laughed off the air. Whether you believe Orson Welles intended to deceive the listeners with his tall tale adapted from a literary classic, or it was purely the magic of radio influenced by All Hallows Eve Eve and some quality effort from truly talented individuals, uh, you know, one thing's for certain. 
Yeah. Uh, At the tender age of 23, Orson Welles had made an indelible mark on history. And upon learning of the mass hysteria, suicides, and stampedes resulting from his show, he stated to several people, if I had planned to wreck my career, I couldn't have gone about it better. Well, you know, he did uh, He did all right uh, for, for himself. And, yeah, I think you know, he did. I think so. Uh, we got one more voicemail. Um, well, I think we definitely need yeah, to Yeah, I have no idea who it's from. It says it's unknown and there's no transcript. So uh, we're going to hit it. Let's, let's see what we got. Hey there, guys. Um, I want you to know that I do believe life exists off of the uh, planet that we're on now. Whether it's intelligent or not, well, I'm still looking for intelligent life here. Now, as to uh, whether or not we've been visited on this planet by alien life or we've had some UFO come and well, be no longer unidentified, uh, there's uh, in my town a UFO landing port. If you use your favorite Internet search engine and look for uh, Eaton and Wisconsin and landing port ufo well you'll see that uh, a stone throw from my house sure enough we're uh, ready for the aliens to come because we have a ufo landing port here with a big fucking sign <laughs> and a little tower and we're ready we're, we're we're ready for the little martians to come back uh from 1938 and we're ready for all the goobly gobbly green things or whatever the hell they said in the you know, old Orson Welles show, but uh, yeah, we're ready for the aliens. I, I'm sure they've already been here, you know, and they just snubbed my little town because they're assholes. You know, if you know Zindu, you know aliens are assholes. Well, thanks for all the fun tonight, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to hopping right back over to my computer and chatting away there in the in the little room that we've got. So uh, this has been Gummy Nerd, and you guys uh, keep on rocking out with your cocks out, so to speak. <laughs> Thank you, Gummy Nerds. Thank you so much, Gummy. Yeah, we we appreciate you calling in. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And uh, yeah, so... um, So in the the show notes, I have some photographs, one of which is a plaque that was put on the site in Grover's Mill to commemorate the night the aliens landed. So they they were kind of good sports about it after the smoke cleared, essentially. And I did include... Uh, photographs of the newspapers that were circulating at the time the morning after the radio, the radio broadcast. So check those out in the chat because they are very interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to yeah I have to figure out how to get them in in, in some place that people can see them. But I will I will we'll that, work that, it out. We'll work it out. So um, do we have anything else? To, pretty sure we don't have anything else. There's pretty much uh, only one thing else to do. Yeah um yeah I, I mean and you know what it is. Yeah well I know. Oh, hold on a minute. I'm so fucking over this. Yeah, I got to play that first. Uh, you know. But uh, but uh, but seriously, like, yeah, uh, yeah, y'all. Uh, I think this is uh, this is how we end this uh, shit show. Jordan fades back, swoosh, and that's the game. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool, and fuck you. I'm out. You still here? It's over. Go home. Go.